Hi, MDRT. It's Laura. I am bringing you season two, episode 11 of the MDRT podcast. It is Thursday night, March 26th, and uh, I've been getting some messages um, just asking me how I'm doing, and thanks um, for checking in uh, for those of you who have, who have been, and I just want to let everyone know in, uh, from New York um, that we're doing okay, and obviously um, things here are escalating. We are experiencing a lot of uh, COVID-19 here in New York City. I think 30,000 plus cases in the state of New York and the majority of them um, here and hospitals are now starting to get overwhelmed. And um, we are realizing there are a lot of asymptomatic carriers um, and uh, stuff on the labor floor and our protocols have really, really changed and basically we're treating all patients who walk in the door as if they are positive. It's changed. Um, Yes, our management, we are basically in full PPE um, during all deliveries and we're testing all women admitted um, for COVID-19. And, you know, these are all great things. We are testing more and more people in the state of New York than anywhere. And I am proud to say we have more per capita testing than anywhere in the world, including even more than uh, South Korea. So we, um, yeah, we're, we're leading with science. We are very uh, aware of what's going on and how, how bad things could get. And we're expecting that. And at least we're ready. Um, trying to be as ready as possible, at least. So thanks um, for asking, guys. And um, I just want to turn our attention to our awesome podcast here. I want to thank Dr. Elizabeth Williams for spending time with me. Um, This was recorded on Sunday, and um, Libby Williams is a urologist from the St. Louis area. She has two girls and um, lives with her husband and her um, girls, of course. And um, we first talk about a little bit of what's going on in St. Louis and what her practice looks like and what's going on um, in uh, the daily life of uh, Libby Williams in terms of changing from a busy urology practice to sort of cutting down all the um, extra stuff and limiting everything to emergencies. Um, Libby is a six-star finisher. She um, completed all six majors, and I joke with her that she's going to go and do them all again. Um, We talk about her uh, love-hate relationship with these marathons, Um, the, you know, the mercilessness of the marathon, and um, talk about her, her unicorn marathons, too, the ones where things come together beautifully and they're just sort of magical days and I I hope that you all have uh, magical races one day Um, and just you know how she's dealing with the change of plans for the spring season and what's coming up for the fall and you know everything else so sit back relax hope we could give you guys a mental break from from work, so please enjoy our conversation. Hello. 
Hey, Laura. Yay. Can you hear me? <laughs> I can. Can you hear me? I'm so, yes, I'm so sorry. No, I, why are you sorry? I followed the link and then it would like work, I know. So. It sometimes takes a couple times as if you've ever listened to the podcast. Usually well, and I, I knew times. you're like, this is your like hundredth podcast. This is my first. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yet every time we do it, there's all, almost always like a glitch where a glitch. we're like, hello. <laughs> I know. I figured I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. My no, kids are no, supposed no, to be on a no, Zoom like chat no, room right now with their friends. So I was like, yeah. they're like asking for help at the same point. I'm like, I'm not this technologically savvy. <laughs> yeah. No, so good. Uh, Hi, Libby. How are you uh, doing? I am great. How are Oh. I'm good. I'm hanging in there. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Life is probably so, way crazier for you than it is for me right now. Well, you know, it's it's getting there. But yeah. uh, thank you so much for making time. Um, I know it's crazy for everyone right now. Like literally our kids are home and yeah, every day is like a new adventure. So thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So to just to introduce you, you are Dr. Yeah. Elizabeth Williams. Yeah. Um, you are a urologist in St. Louis. And yeah. um, how's everything going over there? How's St. Louis? Like, what's the situation? <laughs> we recording this just for context, everyone. It's Sunday afternoon. Um, I guess March 20. What's the date? Oh, my gosh. I don't even know. March 22nd. March 22nd. Yes. Um, yeah. so how's St. Louis going? Everyone's like behaving and staying inside. You know, Laura, I'd love to say that everybody is, I think, you know, we're a little bit, we in the Midwest, a little behind you guys on the coast, as far as, you know, the yeah, we're a few days. Yeah. We're, we're probably three or four, five days behind you guys. And at least still, it's just, I, I'd love to say everybody's behaving themselves, but you know, I did a, I did my run yesterday and I was out in the park and there were soccer games going on and picnics and like things like that, that just, and like, there just seems to be way too much traffic for tomorrow. They're going to instill the, you know, kind of like have to stay home rule in St. Louis and that right now, a lot of the things have happened, but it hasn't been that aggressive until tomorrow. But I just wonder what all these people are just doing you know yeah so we we have cases we don't have obviously nearly as many cases as you guys do yet but every um pretty much every hospital has some cases now and we just had our first death um in the last like i think 48 hours it was actually a nurse at one of the hospitals who had been traveling Um, oh no i know i know so you know i'm in it and it is awful i'm I'm hoping it's a wake-up call because i think somehow we midwesterners were kind of felt like this was more of a coastal problem you know, right. for a long time and so yeah unfortunately I feel like it almost takes a death for people to find and especially a, a, a healthcare provider's death for somebody to to wake up and realize you know what this really is even some of my own partners are just they don't feel like taking this as seriously as they probably should you know but no totally yeah so what is your what is your practice and what do you guys do? So we, you know, this past week, it really had been very much business as usual. So I'm part of a very large urology practice. There's um, 23 urologists. Of course, I'm the only female in the practice, but wow. I'm the only female you're, female who is a urologist in the practice, MD. Um, but, you know, we're, and we're spread out really across all of the greater St. Louis area and Southern Illinois. So we really were actually having to abide by both the rules in Missouri and Illinois. Um, and honestly, last week, uh, it was almost 
almost business as usual. You know, I mean, I saw less patients in clinic than I had the, you know, weeks prior, but I mean, I was routinely seeing 16 to 20 patients in clinic. I did eight or nine surgeries last week. And then just on Friday, and we were starting to get our ducks in a row, but on Friday, um, the hammer kind of came down. We're really converting almost everything over to telehealth that we can, um, but keeping a couple of providers every day in the clinic, just because unfortunately with the urology, we're very, um, um, very um, procedural based, you know, so we still need people, you know, people still have gross hematuria and need a scope or, you know, um, need a catheter exchange. And we're trying to keep those people out of the hospital to do it. So we have two providers every day with two MAs in the clinic to be able to kind of deal with urgent issues and everything else is really going to, um, telehealth. So, yeah, yeah. So. no, that's good for you. And I know obviously you and lots of people have their heads on straight and can see things clearly. And I just feel like you guys have an advantage. You have a couple days, uh, advantage on us. And if people can act as quickly as possible, maybe, you know, it won't be so bad, but um, like you had just said, sometimes it takes something really terrible to happen for people to wake up absolutely. and be like, oh yeah, absolutely. this is a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, and I mean, it's one thing when it was outside the country and everyone can say, oh, we don't really know what they're doing in Italy, or we don't really know what they're doing in China or Iran or wherever else. But like, and Manhattan and, you know, all, all these other places that were like, you know, this, this is the U.S. We all have similar health care, you know, um, throughout the United States and things. And it's just uh, I don't think we can keep burying our head in the sand. And hopefully, hopefully some of these things that we are doing in the long run. Um, I had mentioned, uh, I think on a little post I did yesterday, you know, telehealth is such a great idea. I'm hoping the government really supports this after the pandemic, hopefully. Yeah. And, you know, there's no reason my 90 year olds need to be coming into clinic, you know, you know, uh, just med refill. Yeah. Things like that. Like we could reach a lot more patients and really just better use of our resources, you know, in the future. So I hope a few of these things that maybe there's a silver lining that comes out of it that we kind of change how we practice yeah, you know, medicine totally. and things like that. So I don't know, trying to just look at from the bright side of things right now. Yeah. Which is possible. No, totally. So what is your week work? Uh, your thir- excuse me, your work week usually look like, and what do you think it's going to look like? This- sure, yeah. So you know, typically I'm in clinic um, three and a half days a week, and I have a day and a half of OR time. Um, I'm usually on call one night, and then I'm responsible for coverage at the hospital one day. Um, I think what it's going to look like is that I will probably be in the clinic one day a week doing those emergent procedures. And then I'm thinking almost all my patients are going to be on telehealth. I think that's going to be the rest of the rest of the week is going to look like that. I don't know quite how I'm going to do telehealth here at home. Uh, we're going to have a lot of devices at our house because our kids come off a of spring break after this week. So they're going to be doing their studies. I'm going to need my computer and an iPad because we're going to use Zoom for telehealth. Um, but yeah, no, I, I honestly don't have my head wrapped quite around how exactly we're it's going to work. All of this. Yeah, I can tell you, I yeah. did reach out though, because I know I'm going to have to go in the hospital. I'm going to be responsible for coverage at certain points. And the same as I saw your post with, you know, some of your husband's coworkers wearing trash bags and things like that. I, yeah, I did reach out and find myself a few of the, um, I had my brother buy me some N95 masks that he found down in 
Um, and they're clearly not like the surgical ones, the ones that you would want and especially fit. But I'm like, we are relatives yeah. at the bottom of the totem pole. If yeah. I get called in, I guarantee you some intubated uh, COVID positive patients are going to need a Foley that no one else can get in them. And I got a feeling yeah. I'm not going to get first choice on you know, protective right. equipment and stuff. So. Yeah. And it, that would be better than using a bandana or garbage. You know, bag I figured, <laughs> I, think, I figured it would probably in the grand scheme of things, you know, an industrial N95 would be better than a bandana. No, yeah. to, we have a stockpile now of donated N95s. And honestly, like, it's better than, you know, having nothing, which I anticipate is going to happen, you know, not in the, in the near future. Absolutely. So, absolutely. And one point. of our hardest yeah. things was figuring out what to do. You know, we have a surgery center. And so trying to make that decision on how long to keep it open and what kind of cases to do there. Um, what we're trying to do is, you know, cause obviously we do have a set of supplies there and masks and gowns and things like that. Um, and the hope was to try to keep it going just to be able to keep the, um, stones and other patients like that out of the hospital you know we're trying to keep healthy yeah. patients it, unfortunately like you same as you know yeah babies keep coming whether covid is here yeah. or not yeah stones yep. still come you know people still bleed from their bladder tumor so we're trying to kind of work out how to do that as well to keep people who are healthy out of the hospital and still be have good, you know, access to urologic care, but I don't know how long we're going to be able to do that or if we're going to have to ration all of those resources to send those over to the hospital. I'm not really sure. Right. Yeah, that's, that's difficult, but yeah, there are needs that need to be met. I mean, who, um, do you have uh, anesthesiology group that staffs your surgery We center? do. One of the main hospitals that we, um, that a lot of my partners are at, they are our anesthesia providers. Yeah. Yeah. And is it just urology procedures you guys do at that center? Yeah. It- yeah. So it's called Center for Urologic Surgery. And it's really great. I honestly, it's been life changing for me because most of what I do is, is elective outpatient. So other than my robotic cases, I do everything in the surgery center that, that we possibly can. And, you know, it's better for the patients. They don't have to go in the hospital. You know, it's better for their deductibles. Yeah. You know, it just... You know, you know, I'm sure anybody who operates in a hospital in the surgery center, you know how you want to hit your head against the wall that it takes four times as long to do a simple case in the hospital as it does, you know, to do it in a uh, in a surgery center. So, no, totally. I was just saying, I'm like, if I mean, it would be hard to coordinate, but if all like the you know gynecologists or urologists, like all these people, all these subspecialties that have these smaller procedures that are not emergencies that need to get done to get together and use your absolutely that would be like a a great like way like resource so we could keep like our dncs like people are still having miscarriages that still need dncs you know like and i hate to bring them to the main the main hospital no absolutely do that absolutely and i I don't know how long it'll last but i mean for right now like i said it's been it's been a godsend, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, trying to, and we still are bumping, like, as of now, I'm bumping all my elective stuff in the surgery centers. I'm fortunately, fortunately, stress incontinence is a light, is not a life threatening emergency. Right. And, right. You know, they, their slings can wait eight weeks and things like that. So we're trying to be very prudent with what we're doing in the surgery center, but yeah, absolutely. You know, keeping healthy patients healthy, but still providing, you know, medical care. So that's kind of yeah. been the focus. Well, you know, I hope, you know, I hope, 
it, it doesn't come to a full shutdown and hopefully, you know, in a couple weeks it will get better, especially for you guys in the, where it's a little bit less densely populated, but yeah. you know, I guess time will, time will tell. Oh, so, nice. so what's the setup for your kids? Like, first of all, tell us about your kids. And you just said that you were on spring break, so they had not been in school. So what's yeah, the So about? they, um, my kids go, to, uh, so I have two, two girls. I have a 12 year old girl and a 10 year old girl. Um, and they go, um, the school that they go to, they actually get two weeks for spring break, which is a killer every year. Um, but normally we're gone at least one of those two weeks. And unfortunately, we we're supposed to actually leave today, like right now, um, to go skiing in Park City. Well, obviously that's not happening. So, um, and I am fortunate. So my husband um, actually currently is staying home with the kids. So he was a lawyer and stopped practicing when my younger one was like 18 months old. And he actually stayed home with my kids for years and then went back and did not want to practice law. And so got his um, uh, middle school history master's. And is, wow. yeah, so he's actually this past year, he's been mostly substitute teaching some long-term sub jobs. Um, but obviously with everything craziness going on now, he, he was kind of turning down sub jobs the last week or two. So he stayed home with the kids this past week and, you know, <laughs> I tried to ask him to keep them on a little bit of a schedule, you know, that my kids are all the other thing about them is that they're uh, both competitive swimmers. So they swim five days a week, like an hour and a half a day in the pool, both of them. So um, they've gone from doing that to like 20 minutes on their bike, maybe, you know, or they both jumped on the treadmill and ran one mile one day. So he's trying to keep them at least yeah. somewhat, you know, moving around in that um, this coming week or uh, when they go back, they go back to virtual school, I guess, uh, after this coming week, um, we, they gave us Chromebooks to be able to do all their online um, teaching and all that sort of things. It's going to be interesting to see. I don't know. Have your kids started the, all the online teaching? Um, yes and no. Like um, my older one, who's a sophomore, and it's kind of school dependent. Um, he goes to a really large school. So they are still like getting in place kind of all the things that they need to do. So like one class will do this. Another class will do another thing. But it's kind of fragmented. But he is doing some sure. online school. My my 12 year old goes to a smaller school. It's like, um, you know, like 200 per class, I guess <laughs> that that's considered I love that small. That's small. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But this school is like on top of it. They're like, um, they're amazing. But so she literally has school from eight 30 to two, wow. like all the periods are like, you know, she's expected to be in got class. It. So she's got, they're very organized. And my second grader, uh, <laughs> <laughs> she was we're kind of left on our own they have a daily play date at one to yeah. two o'clock so I don't know how much teaching's going on but basically she gets on with her friends and she plays <laughs> with them so that at least <laughs> that has been good um I feel yeah I feel bad for her but we bought some workbooks and honestly I just said to myself li even if she was just on the iPad like 24 7 for this entire time like that's okay <laughs> you know this like, is survival mode right now I feel you yes know, exactly everyone's gonna it, it, I think as, all, as long as ever you just manage everybody's anxieties and you know all those sorts of things I think that 
what they were going to learn in one month or even two months is not going to change their long-term, you know, trajectory exactly. and things like that. Yeah, I know. The, the hardest <sighs> thing for us is going to be my older one, my 12-year-old. She's actually in class with Sophie Hageman, Andrea Hageman's daughter. And this is their yes. last year at their primary school and they just found out um last friday like where they got into for secondary school and and as much enthusiasm was around that that was right when all the shutdowns were happening not seen any of their classmates and i know that this has been the case with so many people but you know she's not going to get her sixth grade like um camping trip that is like their end you know their week-long camping trip she is probably not going to get a graduation you know all of those sorts of things so and i realize people who have high schoolers graduating and college you know students graduating it's so much even harder than you know me complaining about a sixth grader not getting her graduation but I feel bad. I feel like there's this sense of lack of closure, you know, for all of these kids. And as much as I'd love to believe they're going to go back sometime in May, I definitely have started having those conversations with them that, that this may be, this may be it. And this is how sixth grade ends, unfortunately, this year. Oh, that is really sad. sad. And that's super tough. It is tough to explain to a 12 year old too, but I mean, she gets it. She, she gets the bigger thing. And I think, you know, the same as I'm sure your kids do sometimes living in families with either one or two physicians, you realize like things could be worse, you know, and she hears about things that could be worse, but it's tough. You know, I mean, that age is definitely a lot about me <laughs> and stuff like that. So. Yeah, no, yeah. totally. No, totally. I totally get it. I'm, uh, I feel terrible about that. Is she psyched about next year? Though, she, is, she... she is. She is. She's, she's, she's definitely kind of, I was the same way. Like when I was leaving grade school and when I was leaving high school and honestly, even when I was leaving college, like, you know, when you kind of get to the end and you're, you're loving your time with your, your current like school and your friends and things like that, but you're just, you're ready to make that jump. You know, you're ready to move on. You're ready to see kind of the bigger picture in that. And so she's, she's super excited. She's getting to go with a number of her classmates to her next school. So she's going to have that nice kind of comfort zone of some really nice, good girls that she's going with, but is going to get to kind of intermix and get bigger, like a bigger class, you know, and things like that. And I think the more, the more responsibility and just, you know, more, more challenges and things. So she's, she's super excited about that part. So yeah, yeah, cool. Aw, yeah. that's amazing. Well, we're going to make yeah. a right turn into uh, running because yay! we're supposed to be talking about, about running. running. Right. I, I'm pretty sure we'll get back to all the COVID talk <laughs> in a second. To. But um, yeah, so you have finished the six majors, yes. um, the yes. six major marathon. So I wanted to talk about that yeah. a little bit. Um, well, first of all, how'd you get into running? Like, have you been a lifelong runner, like in, in um, grade school and in middle school or in you know, high school? You know, I always, running was like kind of always part of life in a little way. Like I was the kid in grade school that um, I was, I, I usually won the mile time for the girls in my Catholic grade school. Now, the funny part about it is I look, because I look at my girls now and see their mile times, like. I think my, my fastest mile was like a 720 in grade school. And I was like the fast girl, you know what I mean? Back then, which is so funny yeah. when you see how kids are now. But so I always like did that. And so I was always kind of pretty good at running, but um, I was mostly, I was a soccer and a basketball and a softball player. And so those really were kind of my focuses in high school. I never ran track. I never ran cross country or anything like that. Um, and then when I got to college, you know, um, 
I, you just didn't have those organized sports any longer. And I really missed that because that really was just kind of a defining part of my being, you know, is being part of these teams and things. So I kind of did a little bit of running in college just to kind of stay healthy and try to keep that freshman 10 off, you know, and that sort of thing. But um, it really wasn't until my senior year of college, for whatever reason, I decided I'm going to run a marathon. And so my senior year of college, I, I, I guess probably bought a book because I don't think I could have gone. I don't not sure I could have gone online at that point, but I think I bought a book. Yeah. And I bought (laughs) Hal Higdon's, um, you know, basic program to run a mile and or to run, I'm sorry, to run a marathon. And my girlfriend who at the time went to Chicago and I agreed and she had been a runner and that we agreed we were going to meet in San Diego, California after graduation. And we were going to run the rock and roll marathon in San Diego. And so I trained all by myself, my senior year of um, college. And then I flew out and met her and we ran the San Diego marathon, which is hysterical to think of because we had no one with us. Like it was just the two of us. And I remember when we finished, yeah. like we were like, okay, who's actually in condition to be able to like drive our rental car back to like the hotel? Like <laughs> we didn't have cell phones. Like there was like 20,000 people running this marathon. I don't know how we even found each other at, cause we didn't run the marathon together. She was fast at the time and things like that. So um, yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of, I, I, I guess I caught the bug then. I ran a marathon then. And then I honestly went from then until 2014, um, I went 14 years without running another marathon. I did, you know, I did a lot of like uh, local 10Ks and things like that, but um, a few half marathons. Um, but I, I didn't really get back into marathoning again for, yeah, 14 years. So I, Chicago 2014 was was my second marathon. So, and was that during like after training or after babies too, you know, um, I, my youngest, uh, was born in 2010. So, you know, I was four years into my practice. I was running, you know, I, I was running a bit on my own at that point in time. And I don't know, I, I knew other people and, I, you know, kind of was like, I, I think I want to try running it again. I think I can, you know, kind of figure out a way to carve out some time to do it. Um, and I honestly wanted to do it. And I'm, I'm, and I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And I'm really going to see if I can qualify for Boston. So that was like, my goal of Chicago was to qualify for Boston. So I just, I trained cool. and I, um, and it was when I finally started to kind of meet other runners. I had never run with anybody the guys always seemed too fast for me and I just didn't know a lot of other girls you know around and so I met a really nice group of like running group at that point and actually that's when I met Steph um and she and I um ran with some other women that summer kind of getting ready for my Chicago 2014 yeah cool and how did it go it was it was I mean it was so painful (laughs) it was so painful (laughs) <laughs> it was, I, I, when did it get when did it get painful yeah, yeah you know it was one of those like I realized why it took 14 years to, to to go back and do it again you know um but it you know I it was one of those I was well trained we had the perfect Chicago day it wasn't hot it wasn't cold it was overcast 
and I, by about mile 20 was like, I'm going to do this. Like, and I just, I had a great race and I did manage to qualify for Boston, which I was super, super excited about. And of course I lied to my husband and told him I'm only going to run Chicago. And then if I qualify for Boston, I'll run Boston and then I'll never do another marathon, which obviously didn't happen. So well, yeah. you got that done. And so what um, was the next one after that? And what were yeah. you thinking about that? Like, did you have a strategy or you just started <laughs> right, randomly exactly. like signing like, up for that? For? You know, after that, I did yeah. like a couple of halves. And then I was like, oh. so it's that weird one where you qualify in Chicago and then you have like a year and a half before you're going to run Boston, right? Because the, so I was then right, supposed right. to run Chicago the following year. I had signed up again because I had such a great experience and I actually broke my toe um, at a pool four weeks before Chicago 2015. So I was unable to okay. do that, but I had trained super hard. I managed to parlay as soon as my toe healed. I ended up doing the St. Jude's um, marathon that December. And um, okay. it was it was great because I was super well trained and the weather was awesome. And so I actually managed to like shave five minutes off of my prior um, marathon time and things like that. So it was, um, it was an awesome, it was a great race. And if anybody hasn't done St. Jude, I mean, it's amazing when they run you through the campus and all these kids are out there with their parents and they all have cancer and they're all screaming that you're their hero. And you're like, seriously, like, like <laughs> ugly cry, Laura, like, and this is at like mile six, right? yeah. still have 20 miles to run. Uh. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing experience if anyone's ever looking for a great marathon. So St. Yeah, Jude, the one, one? Um, in um, uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and it's always like the first weekend in okay. December and things. So it's um, it's a great, it, it's a really nice marathon. It's a good time of year. Usually the weather, you know, is nice and cool if, if you like that for marathons, which I do, you know, and things. So, yeah. And then right. Uh-huh. But right. Yeah. Right after that, you must have turned it around. I did. Then that would have been Boston 2016. Did. So then, yeah. So then it was Boston 2016, which, um, as you and I have talked about my, my two Boston experiences have not been the, uh, have, they haven't been, they have not been the best. Have not been the best. I don't know any better way. They've been awful, both of them. I mean, I'm yeah. super happy and super blessed that I've gotten to run Boston twice, but I seem to make all of the rookie mistakes multiple times at Boston, including I've never actually run up Heartbreak Hill. I have walked Heartbreak Hill twice now. So yeah, it was, it was really hot Boston in 2016. I think the temps were like in the high seventies, low eighties, you know, um, people weren't looking so great. I was definitely not looking so great, but, um, yeah. (laughs) So that was Boston. Yeah. Yeah, but you got it done. And then you and I both ran New York City Marathon yeah. 2016, and our, our times were one apart. second yeah. apart. We did <laughs> so we not didn't know each other, or I don't. We did not. Um, but tell us how that went, because I don't know. So that, 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 that was uh, that was one for the books, man. Um, I so I had been struggling with plantar fasciitis, which you know is just a gift that keeps on giving um, for about three months leading up to the marathon, and. It was trying all the tricks of the trade, trying to get to the marathon. I got to the marathon. I was decently well-trained and I was having a pretty good race. Um, looking back at my splits, I was having a pretty good race for probably the first 17 or 18 miles or so. And then it was interesting. My So my plantar fasciitis was in my right foot. And I think I was compensating for the, 
that with my gait. And I actually kept feeling like this, this worsening pain in my left foot for like several miles, starting at route about 17 or 18. And it just, it, the bottom of my foot, it just felt like this pulling, pulling, pulling and, and tighter and tighter. And then at like mile 22, mm. I just felt this acute pop. I mean, it was just hard to explain other than I felt like I heard the pop. I'm sure I didn't, but I felt like I did. And it was just like this moment of excruciating pain. And I was, I remember thinking, oh crap, I do not know what I just did, but I'm at mile 22 of the New yeah. York marathon. And I was running well enough that I'm like, I think I can still qualify for Boston here. So I spent the next four yeah. miles walk running um, the the end of the New York marathon and uh, cross the finish line. And as you and I both know, we both managed to qualify for Boston, but that was the year that I think I missed the cutoff by one second and you missed the cutoff by two seconds. So. Two, yeah. two seconds. Yep. I mean, ultimately, yeah, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> rupture my plantar fascia. <laughs> But I kind of had the similar story. <laughs> it had been my first marathon back after um, I don't yes. know, 15, 16 years. And everything was great until mile 20, yes. mile 23, which is why I kind of stand there now on mile 23. And like, I don't know, just everything fell apart. <laughs> and it was just it survival. Is. But, you know, it was, it was a, a nice day. day right? Everything day. was perfect. It was a gorgeous was, day. You know, and that sort of. Right. There was nothing I could complain about other than, you know, the marathon is, um, doesn't owe you it anything. Doesn't. It doesn't. Is... And there's so many places it can go <laughs> it... wrong. And I have made every, yep. I feel like maybe there's probably more mistakes I could make that I haven't made yet, but I've had, I've had more right, days right. at the marathon one than I won. I would say, you know, I've had some great races, but I've yeah. had some really, really awful experiences on marathon courses. So, right. Right. It's merciless. Yep. It is heartless. Owes you nothing. But yet keep we keep doing it. crawling keep back. Doing it. <laughs> but I do like to, I mean, in a, in a good, not in a good way, but the silver lining is that we did miss Boston 2018 because it was, it was not a pretty I, race. I, I feel like maybe the gods yeah. were looking down on us, Laura, because that from every picture yeah. and every story, <laughs> I am so glad I did not have to, to deal with Boston 2018. So. Yes. Right. So then in 2017, was that the year you did like so 2017 races or <laughs> rebuilding year? Cause I couldn't run for three months because okay. of the, I mean, I was actually in a cast oh, yes. in a boot yeah. and everything like that. So I really, I, so after I got out of my boot and that, um, I really spent 2017 focusing on building speed, getting back. I switched and found, I had a coach that was very, not very invested in me prior to that. I switched to a new coach that another friend of mine used. She's just a super positive person. Um, so I actually had a great end of 2017. Um, I managed to PR in IP. I PR'd in the 10 mile. Like I, I really was like working on kind of smaller races and just really kind of building myself, which was, you know, fantastic. Knowing 2018 was kind of a bit like going into 2018 was busy. So I did London in 2018. And then I did Berlin five, four months, ah. four or five months later. And then Tokyo was early 2019. So that's where like I had several, and then I threw Philly in, you know, in the mix in November. Oh yeah. That, I was just yes. going to say, wait, you, <laughs> yes. you, 
did Philly so did too. So you did London, London, Berlin, and, and then, then yeah. Berlin. And so in London and Berlin were very, I'd say, kind of similar stories. London, so London 2018 was the hottest London marathon ever. Um, yes, a guy died. On I remember that. I mean, it was just it was especially the you know the people of London like they're just not used to those temperatures. I mean, it was like 82 at the start line. People were just all looking at each other in just bright sunshine. We're all just looking at each other going, oh crap, we've been, you know, training in the winter, you know, all of us were not heat acclimated at that point. And so that was another one, just survival mode. Um, I'm famous for having a great 20 mile race and a terrible last 10K. I did that in London and then I turned right back around in Berlin, which was warm, but not as warm. I mean, it was just my, I just didn't run it well. I went out too fast and blew up again at mile 20 and ended up walking, walk running. It's actually, it's pretty comical. Three out of the six, I finished in a 337 walk running the last six miles, like Boston, London, and Berlin, like the exact same story each time. It was so sad, but so that's why I, that's why I did Philly though, because I knew I was in good shape and I just, I guess I just didn't want to throw all that training away. Do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. Like I felt like I needed to prove yeah. to myself. I just felt like I had a faster marathon in me than um, kind of what those kind of th- those races looked like. So yeah, that's why I feel it. Yeah. So what made the difference? I mean, was it just De- the weather? Definitely or just, somewhat the weather, you- I think. Um, you know, I am, I my heat is my kryptonite. I mean, really, honestly, anything above 60 degrees, you may, you can almost write me up. You can add at least five to 10 minutes onto my marathon times. I just don't do well for whatever reason in the heat. But I think the biggest thing is my coach and I really worked on, we felt like my fitness was there, but I was also terrible, terrible about fueling. Um, during Berlin, I took 150 calories the entire race. Like I took one and a half honey packets was all I took the entire race. And so we really worked for Philly on uh, leading up into Philly, which was like, I had eight weeks, I think between Berlin and Philly, we worked on a whole plan as far as what my nutrition would look like during the race. And I went from 150 calories up to like 800 calories, I think, you know, during the race. So I think that the, um, I think the temperatures combined with adequate fueling, it's amazing what you're capable of, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Good. And then did you like, did you just force yourself to go off like more conservatively or I did yes I I mean uh yeah kind of I I actually I know right (laughs) um looking at my splits from Philly I was actually pretty evenly split the whole time like um I dropped I I definitely had a little bit of a drop at the end I actually it was it was a unicorn race um that I would say that in this past New York race were just my two just you know the days that just other and I I hit mile 22 of Philly and I was like, I feel great. Like I was dropping the paces down even more. I couldn't believe it. Like it was just one of those days where I was like, holy yeah. crap, I'm going to do this, you know, and that in fastest miles, yeah. my last, you know, four miles, which as you know, doesn't usually happen in a marathon, but yeah, everything just kind of came together that day. So Awesome. Is that still your it PR? Is, it is. I don't think yeah. so. No, Philly is my PR. Oh, it is. Yes. So. Yeah. That's, yes. Well, that's yeah. my PR too. Well, it's a great, it's a great so race and have... a great time of year with great spectators. And it's not a world major, so it's not quite as 
crowded and have as much hoopla right about it as some of the other ones like I think those are the ones that yeah. are easier almost to do a PR right you know at, so yeah it I mean it big. was yeah. pretty big yeah. I would say though like it was big but you didn't have to get there like um, two and a half hours and at the start of time and sit right and like sit on a bus and do you know all those right. crazy no. things that you have no, to do totally the other ones so yeah yeah yeah, yeah we like walked yeah we walked there we walked to the finish I mean to the start it was it was relatively easy so yeah so then in Tokyo that it was was, was that, that your was sixth my sixth star? finish it was so how was it that was, trip? it was, was so fun just, it's crazy you're only there for like five days I mean who flies to Japan for five days well I do apparently um yeah but um my whole family was so your there. Whole my family girls was there. and my husband. My husband's been at all the world majors, and my girls have been to four of the six. And so, um, I just felt like they really wanted them there to, you know, to, I just want them to see the process of put, setting forth goals and just finishing them. Some of them, they saw me finish really well, and they saw me in Boston finish really poorly, you know, and things. So, I think they need. I just wanted them to help learn from my journey too. But they were there and. Diane was there and a, a bunch of other, other um, and I think there's about six or seven of us MDRTs that were all there. Um, yeah. Yeah, Na was there. Na was, was there. So great. Yes, was like so- Diane, like walked to the start line together and like Diane and I were waiting for the, the race to start. And as um, I think we probably put in there, like, I mean, it was raining. It was like 38 degrees. It was, yes. and it was so funny. Diane and I look at each other with probably three minutes to go before the start happened. And she and I are both like, holy crap. Like we have to run a marathon now. Like it was like one of those like surreal, ex- like you're in, <laughs> you're in Tokyo, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, you're just kind of enjoying the process. And I was like, I guess I better like, put some focus in here I'm about to run a marathon so um I have very little recollection of the the race itself that much other than the rain but like it was like you couldn't rain on my parade that day like I was about to get my six star medal like it didn't matter what happened to me that day I felt like you know what I mean like I read other people's reports like I think Dina Castor ran it other people like that and they were like oh and it was awful and it was so slippery and all that but like it was one of those like it was just a day that I was just like I was so excited and so just like blessed to be doing it that it just I think somebody would have had to knock me over for me to you know not have a good time doing it so right right Oh, it was great. That's amazing. Did did someone? I don't know. Was there like a, some kind of reception or some kind of celebration? So they have they have like um, there, the, um, Abbott World Major. You pick up your after you go get your regular medal. They have a special tent where you get then that medal, and you know they ring like a little bell for you. But there's actually a, a lot of people finish in Tokyo. I think just because logistically getting to Tokyo is always a difficult race, you know. And it was the last one added, so I think there's a right. lot of people that that's their sixth star. So it wasn't like a big production, but I had gone with marathon tours. And so that night there was a reception and both Na and um, Diane were at there. And so they honored all of us that were um, six star finishers. And there was actually two um, seven continent finishers there too. They had, which were like listening to their stories was just absolutely incredible. You know, I can't, still can't wrap my head around running a marathon in um, Argent or in um, Antarctica and things like that. So (laughs) Yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm I just don't, putting that out there. I'm gonna That's never, never say never because I end up <laughs> signing myself up for really dumb things. But it's definitely not on the radar anytime soon. <laughs> Let's say that. 
<laughs> so I would like to say that that finished your journey, it, but it, it really didn't. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't. Stop there. Oh, I like I mean, you know, you it's just kept just, on you know, you up just, them. You, you join MDRT and there's always somebody who wants to encourage you in an amazing way to like one more race, one more this, one more that, you know, so. Right. Just one more. I mean, did you do Tokyo? You were already signed I up for Boston. I signed too. up for you Boston. You were I know. Race. Like, I think Andrea and I were chatting. We're like, let's go do Boston together. I was like, I know, right? I need to go back and do Boston again. And that Boston, it was such a bad experience the first time. This will be so much better. And it'll just be running it for fun and all that. And as I think you and I had fair, although your Boston experience, <laughs> uh, I think you were probably showered and dressed by the time yeah. you crossed the finish line in <laughs> Boston. Um, uh, it, it was <laughs> well you were showering oh dressed gosh. before oh Andrew listening to you guys your discussion of you know her Boston experience obviously so I mean I was somewhat living it because you know she and I were roommates in Boston and when I when I got back to the hotel and I checked my phone and I had said she was still at mile whatever 23 or something whatever the 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 um thing said it was like oh this seems weird, but okay, I'm just going to take a shower. And when I get out, she'll be done. Right. And then I get out and I look at my phone and she still hasn't moved. And I call her, thank goodness she had her phone on her and she just like burst into tears in the phone. And she's like telling me where that she's in a med tent at mile 22. Um, It was just, I mean, thank God it's, she and I now we laugh, we obviously laugh about it now because she's fine and everything, you know, and she, I think it was a huge turning point in her running career and her insight into these things is just so amazing and that, but like at the time it was just like, you know what I mean? Like I was that sort of thing. And she's like, will you come out here and do the last four with me? I'm like barely crawling between like the, the shower and the bed. And I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like we were all dead. Like, like maybe, to... me, maybe on some other some day. Ibuprofen in my, but you know, literally... renal failure kidneys right now, and I guess I'll try to come out. But thank goodness she was able to pull it all together, and I cheered from her from the hotel room and got to see her as soon as she got back. So yeah, it was one for the books, you know, for all. Of them, so yeah. It was one for the books. I mean, what was it just the heat you know, or you ran? What was, what was your story um, exactly? Once again, I can't seem to slow myself down the first half of Boston. So I went out too fast. And as you know, it was just, you know, we went from the rain, like the, oh my God, I hot had this black hat on. I was just hot. And I had just come off of Tokyo six weeks before. So I think I, I think I physically was depleted, but honestly, I think I was just mentally depleted too. Like I just didn't have any mental reserve in me. I, mile 15, I, I, too much information, but I never stopped to go to the bathroom in a, in a race. I'm like, I have peed on myself in like half of the marathons. I don't care. I'm, I'm just going to keep going in that. And there was a porta potty at mile 15. I was like, I'm just going to stop, go pee, recollect myself. This will be great. And then that, that was the nail in the coffin. From there, I probably walk ran 15 more times. You know what I mean? You know, once you start stopping, you just, it's just, you can never kind of get that rhythm back again. So I I think it was a thousand things, you know, and the heat didn't, or the, my feeling of the heat didn't help, but I think it physically and mentally, it just wasn't a good day for me, you know, and I still haven't figured out how to run in Boston. Maybe eventually I will. (laughs) 
Yeah. We have to ask. I think Valerie May, she like ran know, in the right? two, uh, 320s. Or three, I, I'm I mean, so like, impressed or, you know, or Julie, you know, you running know. in, you know, you know, who, who gets Julie Brothers in yeah. Boston in, you know, the, ter- in a, you know, pretty much a, a natural disaster, but Julie does. So I, I, I'm going, exactly. I'm going to go back and do it one more time. I've told myself one more and I'm going to have someone just maybe like hold on to my shirt and like pull me back for the first 10 miles, you know? Yeah, and not exactly. We have to walk myself. I am not allowed (laughs) to run faster than like an eighteen pace, you know, for the first nine miles, and then you can do whatever you want after that. Totally. So, yeah, no, totally, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, Since we're going in chronological order, it seems like you took a little bit of a break. Did you do just yeah, yeah? So I just uh, did. I did two half marathons, like as part of long training runs, to kind of get me ready for it. Um, and then did, um, yeah, I already had New York on the books and that one, again, I I think I just did, I just did too much too quickly and all that. And I, um, I actually did a couple of fast races, um, right after Boston, I did a, a, I did two five K's and I did a one mile race and I was actually was running like some of my best. And all of a sudden I got to the point in the summer where like I was having, I had some chronic, you know, hamstring and other thing issues, probably from my lack of strength training, which I know, <laughs> I know, I know I've, I, I'm working which on now it. is a perfect time to work Plus, on I that. Can, gotta <laughs> hate it, but I am. Yeah. Um, I got to the point in, in like late July, like I couldn't run for two weeks. I saw a sports medicine doctor. I couldn't run. I got into like intense or three days a week and I like I didn't even buy a plane ticket to New York until like mid-September because I didn't know if I was going to make it to the start line or not so so yeah yeah got it but but it's oh not like this it was, race went it really was, well I told you my two unicorns were Philly and this New York race this New York race was I mean I know why New York is your favorite race like I mean New York is just it's just so amazing. Much and I think because I went in with absolutely zero expectations for myself, I mean, I'm my own worst enemy almost always, you know, or my mind is and things like that. And so going in with really no expectations other than I didn't want to tear my plantar fascia and I wanted to cross the finish line, you know, those were like my two things. And the other thing I did different that I've never done is that um, Meredith reached out to me, you know, maybe six weeks or so beforehand. It was just kind of like asking me what my plan was and maybe if we wanted to kind of start together. And I'll be honest, I, and I told her this too, I was really hesitant because she's just so fast in her and all of her, like all of her runs yeah. are so amazing. And I was seeing what she was doing on Strava and I'm like, maybe this isn't a good idea, Lib. But, you know, I think I've never run a marathon with someone. It was absolutely amazing and it was perfect. And I think it allowed both of us to run really great, smart races because we kind of kept pulling each other back where, you know, normally if left to your own devices, you might push a little too early in that. We pretty much, and I had the, I had the benefit of having run New York once before. So I knew like, I knew the course, right. You know, and you know, and you know that you need to hold back. And I know yeah. people tell you that the same in like in Boston, but, but New York's still a little different, you know, than running Boston and everything. So I think it was really yeah. helpful. And we did 
each other kind of back for the first half of the race. And then we're able to just have really, you know, strong finishes, which it was only a minute and a half off of my PR. And I felt great. I mean, I'm totally missed you at mile 23, which I'm so bummed about. I, yeah, I just like, I, I like, saw I you felt though. great. Like, I mean, this feels <laughs> great like running up like... mile 23 in New York. Yeah. But I was like, my, I no knew one my family was at the top. <laughs> I kept telling myself, I'm going to hear Laura's cowbell. This is going to be amazing, you know, and that sort of thing. And I just kind of like was in the zone. And so, again, I just think so many times if you just, kind of alter your plan and just try to get out of your head a little bit. It's amazing what, if you just let your body do what it was trained to do, what it's capable of doing, you know? So. That's so cool. Oh my God. It's amazing. It's It's so much fun. It's I, although I just don't know if I can do it again, Laura. Like I just like, it was so great that I don't ever want to do it again. (laughs) Yeah. You don't want to spoil it. Like it can't go this well next time. So. No, totally. So we know that all of our spring uh, plans have now fallen through. And I just saw you posted a great long run, like a fantastic long run. Thank you. Um, And you had said, I I, I kind of mentally said this to myself last weekend, you kind of closed closed the the season down. I mean, not that we're not going to run and not that we're not going to run long, but it just, I guess, mentally helped to be like, okay, well, we're kind of you know, done with this particular segment of training, but you know, how disappointing um, was that? Or was it? I was, I was disappointed. I probably wasn't as disappointed as some of the rest of you guys. You know, I, 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 I've been to London before. I really love London. I really want to go back and do it, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, I, I had already, I had originally told myself I wasn't going to do a spring marathon. I specifically didn't sign up for Boston, you know, that sort of thing. So I think in my head, like when that opportunity for London kind of presented itself to me, I couldn't pass it up, but, and I was doing all the training and everything like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm clearly bummed and I'm bummed. I think I'm more bummed though, more than for the marathon. I, it was actually my kid's Christmas gift was we were going to London and then we were going to actually take a train over to Paris and spend three days in Paris. Cause we had, we've never been there. So I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm sad for the yeah. loss of my family's trip. Do you know what I mean? More than I am the actual yeah. merit. I mean, I would totally. have loved to run it. You know, we put in all this effort and then it was just like, yeah. you know, I, I can't imagine the people yeah. who were like already like fully trained and were just tapering for things. I, I think that I would have probably felt very different if that had happened, but I don't know about you, but I was kind of just getting into kind yeah. of training. So it was like, yeah, I don't think I was quite as frustrated that my God, I had done all of the work, you know what I mean? And then didn't get to have like an outlet. So I felt like my run yesterday, my 19 miler was just, just my, it was, it was my cap, you know, it was, this is how this season was maybe supposed to go and um, I'm okay with it. And yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I actually feel the same way. (laughs) Like I was, you know, a little sad. Um, and what I had thought was going to happen, right. like one of them would be canceled, yeah. but not the other one because I had Boston and London. But that that just seems such a, like a I silly idea all, right like, now. I, I, well, I distinctly remember. <laughs> remember so like silly. when Diane texted us when Tokyo got canceled and was like, oh my God, is London going to get canceled? And I remember thinking, she's insane. No, London isn't going to get canceled. That's like two months away, yeah. you know? And that, And now I'm like, what were we right. thinking? Of course. 
Yeah, what were we thinking? Like, yes. like the NBA is yes. canceled. Like, everything is canceled. Correct. Colleges are canceled. Like, they threw everyone right. to the correct side. So it's like, like one of those in retrospect, like, duh. Like, so... of course, like, I don't know what we were thinking. And yeah, yeah. so I, just like everybody else, I, I mean, I, I'm a little sad, but yeah. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with pulling back. I'm going to run, yeah. but I'm really just going to kind totally- of run for fun and for my mental sanity right now you know and try not to get hurt so that at some point in time I (laughs) am ready to go for you know another round so yeah so had you already signed up or are you planning had already planned to run a fall marathon um, or what's going on with that now I was going to run the marine corps well I wanted to sorry can you hello Okay, sorry. Um, I, yeah, I can hear you. So Marine Corps it's was supposed October. to, or, it's like or is at what date? And it's like always been on my bucket list. It sits right usually between Chicago and New York. And I just feel like it's like one of those iconic races that like yeah. I want to do at some point in time. And so originally my plan was to put my name in for the lottery, which happened, I guess, this past week. I don't even know if they left the lottery open or not. Um, I decided not to just with, yeah, I'm very up in the air about whether or not I'm going to go to London in October. I think it, I, I guess, like probably how you feel. We don't even know if it's going to happen, you know, or if it does happen. I don't know what things yeah. are going to look like for my practice and for my family and things like that. But I, I wanted to leave open the opportunity to run London, you know, in the fall. So um, and I felt like I, I, I'm getting too yeah. old to do marathons <laughs> personally two weeks apart. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like back to back to back. Yeah. Um, I just was like, I think that if, if I'm going to run Marine Corps, I would want it to be an absolute blast. And I think that two weeks after London for me, I can't imagine like turning around, especially I feel like two weeks is really tough to turn around and, and run them back to back. So I didn't register for that. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably will do London, but I, I don't know. I guess it just kind of depends on what the world looks like. You know what I mean? At that point. So sure no totally everything's up in the air so so hard to picture it it seems like as an aside right now so yeah that seems like such small potatoes you know what I mean whether or not I run the London Marathon in the fall at this point so yeah yeah um has your your main hospital um ask for like volunteers yet or or like do you even know the situation so I know the a little bit situation so there yet or you have no idea I am in a different position than some who are you know hospital employed or you know um, some of my friends who are on on staff at WashU where they unfortunately can be asked to do things pretty much that I don't think that the hospitals can essentially force us to do you know what I mean like they can't redistribute you know the dermatologist to have sure. to do ER work and things like that if we're, you know, private practice. So, um, yeah, I don't know yet. I know we have cases, we have at least one or two cases at our hospital right now. I think we're probably as prepared yeah. as any of the other hospitals around the St. Louis area are. We are really very poorly prepared as far as testing is still concerned. It is very, very difficult. And I, I've heard this kind of across the U.S. I don't know exactly how I don't know what it looks like now in New York and things like that, but still so many people are not getting tested who absolutely should be. Yeah. Lewis and that. So 
I don't know. I, I'm gearing myself up, assuming though, like, like we said before, you know, urologic emergencies, unfortunately happen, whether or not you're in the middle of a pandemic. So I'm sure that I'm going to be, you know, taking stones out of potentially, you know, COVID positive patients and, and things like that. So, um, yep. so yeah, I, I honestly haven't even wrapped my head around really that's what truth. that's going to look like. But I, I, I hope, I hope they're not going to need my help in the ICU. Not that I'm not willing to help, but I, w- I spent my entire sickie rotation as a general surgery intern um, putting in lines and avoiding intubations at all costs. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. You're like, Correct. you don't want your urologist, gynecologist, dermatologist. The difference is either intubating death or you. <laughs> I, try. I absolutely am more than willing, willing to try. Yes. I just. God help all of your teeth in the process of me doing it, you know, and everything else involved. So, um, yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I guess it depends on how dire the situation gets, you know, um, as far as whether or not they'll be recruiting, you know, just private practice physicians to do hospital based medicine. I'm not really sure yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my hospital is there already. They're still because I'm in the same position as you, although. And I do some ambulatory surgeries at um, like an ambulatory center type type of thing, but obviously my deliveries have to be at a hospital. Um, So, so, and the bulk of my practice is obstetrics. Um, But yeah, they had, they sent a mass email for everyone to fill out a form if they wanted, this is not like drafting or it's not um, mandatory by any means. And it's not even just going out to clinical staff. It's for, um, for receptionists, for business associates, for janitors, for anyone mm-hmm. associated with Mount Sinai on the email chain, if like they are not working as much as they normally would, because a lot of the outpatient centers have completely closed down. And so like there are people that are not working and they're just sure. assessing if people want to work more or volunteer or fill in other roles. So like they're assessing everyone's like, sort of like abilities, capabilities, like what they're used to, whether it's billing or Epic or um, like data processing, pharmacy, like clinical. And then there's like this long clinical list of things that sure. like doctors, like sure. what you can do, what you feel comfortable doing. <laughs> I just looked at it and I was like, I can't do any of these things. <laughs> <laughs> except for like take yes, this uh, like a history and physical yes, like I could absolutely. do that but I don't even know if I can <laughs> yeah I was like or maybe I can't can I do a chest I mean, exam Laura, properly I don't like I don't know I literally <laughs> don't know the stethoscope I'm like I know <laughs> you saw a urologist like checking out heart and lungs like it doesn't I just use those isolation ones at the hospital if, yeah. you know, a patient I have to listen. I mean, I have almost no inpatients, you know, so it's like one of those I'm like, oh, yeah. I am I am more no, than happy to help. And I feel like if we have an MD behind our names, we should try our very best to do everything we can. But I certainly would be happy to, you know, help yeah. be a more of a supporter rather than, you know, on the front lines doing things that I've never done, you know, before, you know. <laughs> no, I hear you. That's my preference too. All right, Libby. I so thank you for spending this um, time with uh, me in this afternoon. Like, did your girls still? Yeah, on they're Zoom? Like, one, Are they one, like one still busily doing something. The other online? one is about to begin hers. So thank goodness for Zoom. If only I would have known all these things. We were jokingly the one girl. I know. 
running with this past week at a socially acceptable distance of 10 feet. Um, we were talking about like things that you, you know, in the grand scheme yeah. of things, who knew that all of us should have invested in Zoom, you know? I mean, this is like, between- yeah, totally. There's like definitely yes. some things like people should have invested in. <laughs> like there, there we have this grocery service called Fresh Direct in the New York City area. Like they are just, they are like doing crazy business right now. Like everyone's just the grocery service business Absolutely. or like any kind of like take home food business Absolutely. is, is so booming I, I, right I now. So sure of Zoom in the last yeah. few days, and I'm feeling I'll be a, a super user pretty soon. So yeah. No, it's true. My kids show me how to use it because they do their school. We have church on Zoom. We do. Uh, my son had personal like that, training on awesome. Zoom. He did like a workout. That's awesome. I'm sure you're missing your CrossFit family. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I am, Absolutely. but you know what can we do? It's it's all right. Sounds all good, Barbie. Right, Thank you so I'll much. You get nice to your family. And, um, I hope I hope yeah. that the no. the worst is hopefully about yeah. to be over for you guys there. So. All right. Yeah, Yeah, we shall see. All right. Stay safe, Libby. Well, there you have it, gals. Uh, My conversation with Libby. Thanks again, Libby, for spending time with me. Um, For those of you who listened to the whole thing, sorry, there was some audio sort of glitches where it sounded like we're talking on top of each other. I don't necessarily know. Um, you know how to get rid of that but um, I am aware of it and I'm looking into it but thanks for listening with Grace of course Um, I hope that you guys um, are staying strong at work for those of you on the front lines um, that we were able to give you like 45 minutes of some personal time and that you guys are practicing self-care And that, of course, that at some times you are able to get in that run and get your mind sort of clear and um, uh, just continue to run, guys. Run happy. All right. All right. Until next time. Bye.